And we want to come tonight to Matthew chapter 15, verse 32 and following. We're going to read and look tonight together at Matthew 15, verse 32 through 16, verse 12. And excuse me, about five weeks or so, we did examine just one thought in verses 32 and following a few verses there. We we considered together the compassion of our Lord, but we didn't examine the feeding of the 4,000 and then the response of the Sadducees and Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees and Sadducees. And so we want to look at this section all together tonight. It really does belong together as we reflect on this portion of God's Word. So I'm going to be reading God's Word, beginning in chapter 15, verse 32. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry, for they might faint on the way. The disciples said to him, Where would we get so many loaves in this desolate place to satisfy such a large crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And a few small fish. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fish, and giving thanks, he broke them and started giving them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, seven large baskets full. And those who ate were four thousand men besides women and children. And sending away the crowds, Jesus got into the boat and came to the region of Magadan. The Pharisees and Sadducees came up and testing Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. But he replied to them, When it is evening, you say, It'll be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to to discern the sky, the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times? An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away. And the disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, Watch out and be aware, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They began to, to discuss this among themselves, saying, He said that because we did not bring any bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, You men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the five thousand? And how many baskets full you picked up? Or the seven loaves of the 4,000? And how many large baskets full you picked up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? But beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray. 
Oh God, there are many things for us evident in this passage. One of them is clear, that we as disciples of Jesus, even we who love Him, can be quite dull. That there are truths that can be in plain sight, right in front of our eyes. And yet, we can be so dull, so little faith, that we cannot see and understand. So that's why we pause and pray, not as a mere habit or religious pattern, but we do bow earnestly to ask you anew in this new year that you would open our, the eyes of our heart, that you would take away whatever dullness is within us, any insensitivity and callousness, and that by your grace your Holy Spirit would sensitize our hearts to your truth and your word, we ask for Jesus' sake and honor. Amen. Well, this is the second time that Matthew records Jesus miraculously producing bread and fish to satisfy massive crowd. Jesus references he's the 5,000 and then the 4,000. And in each of those episodes, those instances, that was just the count of the heads of the household, 5,000 men, 4,000 men. In addition, there would have been women and children. So you're, you're talking about Jesus feeding bread and fish from a few loaves, a few fish, to a stadium's worth of people. 20,000? 25,000, 30,000, it's a massive crowd. And of course, we're presented, first of all, with the character and power of Jesus in this second feeding, in this case, the feeding of the 4,000. His character we considered several weeks ago now in verse 32. He says, I feel compassion for the people. And we were reminded, we learned there that we have no indifferent, hard-hearted Savior that he is, he's mindful of his people. Uh, the fact that they didn't have bread, it wasn't the most alarming thing happening on the planet at that time. The people probably wouldn't die if they hadn't had bread. But it was of enough concern to Jesus that his heart was concerned for the people. And he had compassion. Our Savior is a compassionate Savior. But of course, we also learn in this episode about his power. This, this scene, we, we learn about his power. His, his character is compassionate, among other things, and his power is divine. It, this is a divine power. The ability to take a few fish, a few loaves, to pray, to ask God, and with your hands, to break those pieces of fish continuously. So there's continually more fish, continually more bread, that is nothing that any cook can do, any um, baker can do. That is the work of God. So Jesus is compassionate, and He is divinely powerful. And in this, in this account, we continue to have our, our mind and our eyes fixed on Jesus. However, at the same time, in the Gospels, as we are primarily 
centered and focused upon Jesus. There's also, there's also the use of scenes like this to expose and to reflect on the men and women, the people around Jesus. In this case, the Pharisees and Sadducees and the disciples. And by extension, this account is like a mirror reflecting our faith, or lack thereof. The feeding of the 4,000 serves to expose here the unbelief of the religious elite and the leaders of Jesus' day. And further, this episode exposes not only the, the antagonistic, hostile unbelief of the Pharisees and Sadducees, it also reveals the sad tendency of even the most avid followers of Jesus towards unbelief. Our tendency towards unbelief. This is the dominant concern of this passage. Even the scene of the feeding of the 4,000 as it's placed right at the end of chapter 15 before verse 16. Remember, the chapters are not, the numbers are not inspired, right? They weren't in the original Bible. They're helpful to us, but this all goes together. It's not, it's not incidental that you have the feeding of the 4,000, then the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the leaven, the disciples forgetting bread, forgetting what Jesus had just done. It all belongs together. And at the heart of this passage is verse 6 of verse 16. This warning, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Beware. Now we're going to take some time, a few minutes, to consider just who are these Sadducees and Pharisees but I want to say, just, just for a moment here, that one of the aspects of actually this, of religious people, and, and I don't mind, by the way, the word religion. I am a religious man. I, you know, some people that saying um, Christianity isn't religion, it's a relationship. Um, it's a religion. We're engaging in a religious practice tonight. In other words, and in heaven we will be. However, when people have no heart for God, that's just religiosity. Religion for religion's sake. And one of the things that can happen to us in our, te- our sinful tendency towards unbelief is that we can slip into the idea of because God is sovereign, which the Bible teaches He is, over all things, then we begin to unwittingly maybe even, to take on somewhat of a fatalistic view of life. What will be, will be. And of course, Ecclesiastes does, the book of Ecclesiastes, does teach that God is sovereign, that He has ordained all things, that we do not need to be anxious or fret, because God is working out His plan. But notice here that Jesus warns His disciples his closest followers, the men who are, who are his most loyal, most loving friends in this world, the men who have left everything to follow him, he doesn't say to them, oh, oh you guys, well, it's just the plan's unfolding, so just you know, come along for the ride. Look what he says. Beware. Beware. There's a warning here tonight for us, for those of us who are followers of Christ, who love him. This is no fatalistic view of life. And so it's, it's a little bit of a, 
a side note, I'm just, I'm just directing us to, as we study the Bible, let's be very careful and guard our hearts that it's not just a practice of expositional preaching and working through, this is just what we do, that we make sure, and I'm speaking to myself as well, that when we come to the Word of God, that we take the exhortations and commands seriously and respond. The Word of God, by the Holy Spirit, is looking for a response tonight in us, in Christ's people, to beware, to be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Well, well, who are these Pharisees and Sadducees? Well, the Pharisees and Sadducees were no natural friends. In fact, they hated each other. The Pharisees hated the Sadducees. The Sadducees looked down their noses and despised the Pharisees. And yet, we find here in chapter 16, verse 1, that they are united. Pharisees and Sadducees came up together. They're on a mission. They, they hated each other, but they despised each other, but they hated and despised Jesus even more. And their hatred and despising of Jesus united them, in spite of the fact that they were very different. The Pharisees were hardcore, hypocritical, legalistic, hyper-fundamentalistic type false teachers. I don't mind the word fundamental. I probably, in, uh, if you're talking about the fundamentals of the Bible, if you're talking about taking the word of God at its face value, call me a fundamentalist. But, but these were loveless men. They did not love God. They did not love God's people. They loved themselves. And all the faith was for them was a bunch of rules. Most of them man-made and added to the Scriptures. And we have seen this kind of, of pharisaical religiosity in our land. You see it all around the world, and you see it not only in Christianity, you see it in Islam, and uh, it's just external religiosity. You see it in all kinds of faiths, Roman Catholicism. You see it, um, it's just about routine. It's about yourself and making yourself look in look impressive these men added to the scriptures they were very strict in observing various man-made laws that made them look very super religious and yet they had no heart for god no real concern for holiness it was all about propping up themselves and with their religiosity keeping up appearances. At least in their own eyes. They were hyper-legalistic, fundamentalist, man-centered, loveless, false teachers. The Sadducees, on the other hand, well, let me just, the Pharisees, the Pharisees were like modern-day pastors, teachers, that you go and you hear them or you sit under their teaching and you actually hear very little about Jesus even when they're opening the Bible and you hear a lot about what you should or shouldn't do and you hear a lot about the pastor's opinion 
and it's really not anchored in the Word of God. You get hung up as, unfortunately, fundamentalism uh, of the last century did in petty things. I mean, sermons about the length of hair. It's, I mean, there's, in the Scriptures, there's, there's teaching on dress and modesty and so forth, but you, have, you had, in the last century, you had whole systems of Protestant, Presbyterian and Baptist faith that were just hung up on, on minutia. That's what the Pharisees were. The Sadducees, on the other hand, were religious elites. They were in the they were in with the governing authorities. They they loved to be good in good standing with the Roman authorities as best they could. They loved their position. They were they were liberal. They didn't believe in the resurrection. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees were like liberal Protestants of our day. Uh, they were like the ministers who so called ministers who who will go along with whatever, whatever the latest trend is. They'll, they'll wave any flag, put it on front of their church. They'll lead in any kind of service. They'll conduct any kind of ceremony with anybody under any circumstances with no restrictions as long as they can keep up their silly little religious game with their garb. You see this in in the Anglican Church in England, and, and all the garb and, and men who, and women who had no concern, no belief in the inerrancy of Scripture, but yet love the vestments, love those occasions, for example, in the Church of England when there's events where they're present and, and they are prominent. That's the Sadducees. You see the same thing today. Uh, it's, it's going to be the case that increasingly you're only going to see the most liberal, radical, um, Episcopal or Congregational, sorry, Baptist, you know, liberal of every stripe who will be involved in any prominent governmental, um, you know, occasions, if it happens at all anymore. Just pray a prayer. No, no one is going to be able to pray a prayer probably at any inauguration in the future who holds to a biblical worldview, right? I was thinking of that tonight. Just It's probably over. So who's going to be up there? A Sadducee of some kind? A man or a woman who really doesn't care about the truth but just likes their title, likes their influence, likes how close they can be, their prominence. So you have the, the hyper-fundamentalists, and I, and I use that word Legalistic, maybe is the better word. Hyper-legalistic, man-centered, man-made religious. And then you have religionists, and then you have the Sadducees who are the liberal whatever goes unbelievers. But the Sadducees and the Pharisees, what they had in common, as I said, is their opposition to Jesus and their love for themselves. They were united in an unholy opposition to Jesus and the truth that was evident concerning him. Think about it. The miracles of Jesus by this time, in Matthew chapter 16 here, by this time, you have 
men and women all over the land of Israel, walking who never walked before. You have men and women, boys and girls, seeing who could not see, hearing who could not hear, cleansed of one malady or sickness, healed of one malady or sickness of an- or another. And, and this did not happen in private. You have men and women all over the land who have been healed, and you have eyewitnesses by the tens of thousands. And here you have, in the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, you, you don't just have 4,000 witnesses who actually ate the bread and the fishes that Jesus multiplied, but you have thousands of others who were there. You're approaching hundreds of thousands of people who have witnessed, in one way or another, the work, the miraculous work of God of this man named Jesus from Nazareth. The Old Testament required two or three witnesses in court. You don't have two or three witnesses. You don't have two or three thousand witnesses. You're approaching 200,000 witnesses? I don't know. At least 20 and 30,000. He's produced bread for a stadium size full of people out of a few little loaves. He's provided fish for thousands of people that would take a fleet of fishermen to catch and to serve. He has done all this. And yet, verse 1 of chapter 16, the Pharisees and Sadducees come up testing him and they ask him, verse 1, to show them a sign from heaven. Show us a sign from heaven. Wow. In spite of people walking, talking, hearing, seeing, who had never done so before, in spite of thousands of people being fed, the Pharisees and scribes, here's the key, refused to believe. Refused to believe. This is, this is willful unbelief. And so they come to Jesus asking for a sign from heaven. There is, no, there is only one other time in human history, only one other time in human history that God miraculously provided bread for His people on that scale. The Exodus in the wilderness, manna. This is Jesus multiplying the bread, providing for His people in the desolate place. Remember, there's, there's echoes there of God providing for His people in, in the Exodus in the middle of the wilderness. That, that's the tie in. Only God does this. There's only one other time that God has provided bread for His people on this scale. Now it's happened again. But according to the Sadducees and Pharisees, there's a problem. This time, the bread for these thousands of people didn't come down technically from heaven in the form of manna, but it came from a man's hands. So they want to see a sign from heaven. Because technically that, that doesn't fit. That won't work for them. 
Their request for a sign from heaven is ridiculous, ludicrous, and manifestly, openly hostile. There's nothing innocent about this. There's nothing that we ought to be sympathetic about. Notice, notice, notice that Jesus doesn't say here. He does, notice he does not take on an apologist's stance. Now, there's a place for apologetics, helping someone understand why biblical faith in Jesus Christ is reasonable. There's a place for that. We have some among, among us who are skilled in helping people who know nothing of the Bible, know nothing and have been you know, just filled with all kinds of nonsense, helping them see that the Bible is, in the truths of scriptures, Christian faith is not this magical, mystical religion, but it's reasonable based on evident truths in creation and recorded in the Bible. There's a place for apologetics. But, but notice here, Jesus does not say, wow, you know, you guys are just, I know you're really struggling and that's just, that's just really challenging. So let me see if I can pull out some other way to help you, unbel- you, you believe. No, here, the scriptures and Christ, and it's very sobering. And if you're here tonight and you do not believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to be warned. There is here tonight a severe warning for those who are continuing on in unbelief. Your unbelief, according to this passage, is nonsense. And it's not innocent. It's actually ultimately from a heart that's hostile to God. Now, perhaps your heart is not as hostile as the Sadducees and Pharisees. I'm not suggesting that. But unbelief, here's what I want you to understand. Unbelief is not innocent. There's nothing innocent or neutral about it. It's not this middle space between faith and something else. No, it's, it's the opposite of faith. That's why John 3, we love John 3, 16, who, who, for God so, sent his, so loved the world, He sent His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Then you have at the end of John three thirty six, whoever does not obey the Son on him the wrath of God abides. Belief and obedience. You see, unbelief is not just mere neutral, I'm struggling with this. It's at the end of the day, hostile disobedience in face of evident truths about God and about Christ. Now, here we have the hostile unbelief of the Pharisees and Sadducees, but there's also perhaps not such a hostile unbelief But there's another unbelief that's present in this scene, isn't there? It's the the unbelief of the disciples. Now, now we're going to look at that, but I, I do just need to note that, if I haven't made it clear already, that in verse 4 of chapter 16, that that Jesus doesn't work with the Sadducees and Pharisees. He doesn't say, Oh, you need more time, you need more facts. No, he actually rebukes them severely. He calls them an evil and adulterous generation. And notice what he does at the end of verse 4. He left them. 
and went away. Sadducees and Pharisees were not used to anyone leaving until they dismissed them. These were the powerhouse religious leaders in a very religious culture, even though it was an apostate faith at that time in Israel. They were used to receiving honor and dignity, and they released someone from their presence. Jesus, the King, the Messiah, judges them as evil and adulterous, and he leaves them and went away. Again, it's a sobering, it's a sobering thought that unbelief is not innocent. And while God is patient and He is long-suffering and He is merciful and He is compassionate, that He will not forever hang around us in our unbelief. He is Lord. This is very important. He is Lord, not our unbelief. Then we move on from the unbelief of the hostile unbelief of the Pharisees and scribes to the tendency towards unbelief of the disciples. They have faith, but Jesus in verse 8 says, you men of little faith. You see, the issue is faith in this whole section, this whole account, narrative. The Sadducees and Pharisees have no faith, They have unbelief that is hostile to Christ. The disciples have a faith, but it's so little. In light of what Jesus has done. Now, we go from this very intense scene in chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. Well, the the scene of of feeding 4,000 to the the interaction with the Pharisees. Very dramatic. And then we come to verse (laughs) 5. And it's almost comical. I mean, it, 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 disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they've forgotten to bring any bread. Man, I feel like pizza. Is, is there a pizza joint around here? The, the, you know, in modern day terms. I, oh, we've been all day working. Oh, seriously? Nobody brought bread? We just left how many baskets behind back there? Nobody thought to bring one of the baskets? They're hungry. Now, I have to say, I'm, I, I have a, I'm not going to beat up on the disciples because I really think that if I was with them, I probably would have been the first guy to say, did anybody bring any bread? I'd be hungry. You know, uh, I like bread. Um, you, maybe you do too. Gluten-free, gluten, various forms of bread. Bread is good. I like crackers. All kinds of bread. They're hungry. That's all they can think about. <laughs> they've just they've witnessed the scene of the feeding of the four thousand. They've witnessed Jesus witnessed Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees and Sadducees, and they all they can think about is bread. Jesus then in verse six uses the practical occasion to impress something on their hearts, and God does this. He uses sometimes the experiences of our life and in that moment that experience he'll he'll impress something in particular upon our hearts and our minds and jesus uses this opportunity and, and he says he, he goes above the immediate need for bread their hunger 
and he uses the occasion, verse 6, to, to lovingly warn them, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, leaven was kind of like yeast. It was, uh, it was what uh, was used for the bread to, to rise. And, and uh, I don't know much about leaven, but the idea is that, you know, a little leaven, it spreads and it has its effect upon the loaf and it rises. In other words, leaven is something that may be very small to start with, a little insignificant piece of leavened bread, but if you put it together with a lump of dough, that leaven somehow is going to spread throughout the whole lump. In other words, leaven doesn't stay put. It expands rapidly. That's the idea here. The idea is not that leaven itself is sinful. It's an image for the unbelief that can be in our hearts. It's a metaphor, illustration. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and scribes. Well, they hear this. Verse 7, they begin to discuss this among themselves, saying, he said this because we did not bring any bread. Are you kidding me? Now, first of all, what has that got to do with it? But do you get the idea here? They, they, here, they cannot raise their minds and their hearts to reflect upon anything significant except the immediate felt circumstances. Do you know what that's like? (laughs) This is our tendency, is to be so hung up and caught up in the immediate present that we find ourselves immobilized and almost incapable of getting up and reflecting on more significant truths. I know perhaps many of you with me find it hard to conceive how so many people could interact with a godly man like Charlie Jaworski. Witnessed up front his joy, his love, his service, the fruits of the Spirit on display. In a world like this, to experience that firsthand, to hear a man like that testify that the only reason for his love and service is Jesus Christ. A man who, who just continually just said, you got to understand that, that God changed my life. Jesus worked in my heart. How can so many people, I don't know how many, but I know there's, there's too many, interact with a man like that, hear the gospel from him and others, and yet just move on and continue on and just be like, well, Charlie's gone. How does that happen? Well, of course, it's, the evil one who blinds and darkens the men, the minds of unbelieving men and women. But, but on the part of men and women, our part 
it's really often much more significant than bread or a car or I got to work tomorrow morning. We, we need to understand, particularly in this generation perhaps, that we are, I'm going to use a strong word, like idiots with people dying all around us, heaven and hell and eternity in the balance, and we can't get beyond bread, or I got to work tomorrow. Or we are, our tendency is to be hyper fixated on the here and now in our felt needs so that we cannot free ourselves help our uh, cause our minds to step back and say for example in a case of someone like charlie that's wow there's more going on here than bread and work tomorrow there are major truths at play i got to work tomorrow and i'm looking forward to eating but i need to reflect on what this man's life was like and what he testified to me about God. And I need to reflect that just like this man did not know the minute that he would be taken into glory, huh? I don't know the moment that I'm going to, my life is going to end. So I might want to consider, is my soul right with God if I were to die today? Why do so many just seem incapable it's not grand it's really as dumb as bread in so many instances it's not this big scheme it's it's not all these unexplained mysteries about the faith it's just consumption with the present this is so common And this can be us, even those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ at one time. This is our tendency as well. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't warn his disciples. Beware. Now, what's the leaven? The leaven of the Pharisees and scribes is explained. It's referenced at verse 12. It's the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What was their teaching? Their teaching was a godless, man-centered system of unbelief. If you really want to center on their teaching, it was unbelief, at the heart of it. You, little, you men of little faith, beware of the Pharisees. In, in other words, followers of Jesus Christ, beware of letting ourselves, let's beware of letting ourselves slip into mere religiosity, routine, systems without faith in Jesus Christ. Beware of becoming religious on the outside, but really fatalistic on the inside. Beware of unbelief in its various forms. For it is like leaven it will not stay, but it will grow and spread through your heart and your mind and your life. 
The disciples have just witnessed, think about it, the disciples have just witnessed the feeding of 4,000 men, plus women and children, and they cannot put two and two together. That's why Jesus says, verse 9, <coughs> excuse me, do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 or how many baskets full you picked up or the seven loaves of the 4,000? I mean, paraphrase, guys, you're asking where you're going to get bread. What did you just see? <laughs> Anybody home? And again, I, I want to stand aloof and look down my nose at all those dumb disciples, but I have to acknowledge shamefully before you, oh man, I can be just like that. Maybe some of you know. Uh, do we ever get anxious? Mm-hmm. Ever concerned how God's going to provide for us and the various needs of day to day? Just uh, maybe I can give you an example this way. If my heart's anxious, as it can be, and there's various forms of anxiety, but but the the anxiety of I don't know how I'm going to get through this day. Ah, that's unbelief. Because God has promised, right, to provide. So, so in our case, God sent us, for example, a man full of joy. Not a perfect man, not a sinless man, only Jesus is. But God sent us a man who lived among us with joy. And he just believed that God was going to provide for him and answer when he prayed. And he didn't know how. And he had heartaches and he had bad days, but... but he really believed that what God said, he would take care of him, he would do it. God sent that man to us, and we are all witnesses. Did God take care of him? So, duh, <laughs> if he takes care of the him, won't he take care of us? His word says it, and then God gave us a living example of this man among us. So, oh, anxiety is dumb when it comes to me. Just dumb. And worse than dumb, it's unbelief. So, Jesus says, beware. Beware. Even to his most close, beloved disciples, be careful. Be on lookout. Beware. In other words, don't give any quarter for unbelief in your heart. Watch out for the teaching of those men who have their system that is very little centered on Christ as you very centered on yourself and your feelings and your psychology and analyzing yourself and your relationship and be very aware, beware of that. Turning you away from a personal trusting faith in Jesus Christ. Beware. I really think, I, and I did not plan this. I did not, obviously, I didn't plan the timing of Charlie's homecoming. But hasn't God given us a man among us, again, an imperfect man, who took this seriously? 
And he didn't give any quarter to unbelief in his heart. Wouldn't give it the time of day. Didn't even allow it in the door. Wasn't allowed in the conversation in his mind. If God says it, then that's it. I'm going to live by it. Kathleen, maybe I already told you this, and I'll end soon. Kathleen told me this story, and she was reflecting on Charlie's faith too, and just so thankful to God for it. And uh, this was just uh, Christmas Day when there was some ice on the roads, and uh, they had to go to family, and, and they were concerned about it. And so they, Kathleen and Charlie, Kathleen asked Charlie if they could pray. They were in the car before they were going, and Kathleen said, you know, can we pray? And so Charlie prayed and asked that God would give them safety. The roads were bad that day. Um, there were some people who were stuck on 93 for hours. So they were in the driveway and they prayed. They prayed for God's protection, that God would bless. And again, biblical faith is not heedless. So, you know, you don't, don't run out into the middle of a highway and say, God, protect me. But, you know, they, it was reasonable. It was reasonable for them to go out and they prayed for protection. So they were on uh, Queen Street there in Bosquin, and there's this one spot that's really steep and Kathleen doesn't like that and they were in the vehicle I think the truck and and she was starting to get a little nervous and 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 you know somehow indicated that to Charlie and this is Kathleen's testimony Charlie's driving and he looks over and he says we just prayed <laughs> in other words God has promised. So let's just go. I, I really think that that is perhaps one of the greatest things I want to take away from imitating Charlie's faith. God help me. I want to, I want, I want to give no quarter. Uh, unbelief of even little kinds has had way too much quarter in my heart and mind. Maybe yours too. Beware. Run from it. Don't give it any place. Flee from it. And let your heart be filled with simple, absolute faith in Jesus Christ and the promises of God. Let's pray. So God, we pray as those who are tending towards little faith to please help us. And I do pray for those who may be here tonight who know in their heart that they have never really trusted in Jesus as Savior. I pray, O oh God, that you would cause tonight to be a day, a night of salvation, of turning from unbelief, of realizing that it's hostility and enmity against you, and that whoever may be here who has not trusted in Christ might confess the sin of unbelief. Consider the evident goodness of God in our lives, the evident testimony of your scriptures and of men and women in our lives, godly men like Charlie, that the truth of the gospel, that it's, it's real, it's living, that Jesus is alive, that he's coming again. I pray that you would work in the heart of anyone here tonight who has yet to trust in Christ. And I pray that they would put away unbelief and take up faith in Christ tonight. And I pray for those of us who have trusted in Christ at one time. Oh God, help us to beware of unbelief. If it's, if it's started to grow in our hearts and, and our, our practice of our faith has become just kind of cold and lifeless and routine without much love for you, oh God, forgive us and help us 
Help us to trust you. To trust you more like our brother Charlie. In Christ's name, amen.